Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Again, welcome. We're so glad that you are here. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here, and so honored that you would choose to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. Um, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to Romans chapter uh, 15. If you're a newcomer with us, we've spent the better part of a year working through the book of the Bible called Romans, and we are just about at the end. We've just got two chapters left. Uh, But this chapter, the end of chapter 15, is essentially the end of the body of the letter. You remember letters have introductions, body, and then conclusion. This is like the end of the message itself. Chapter 16 is going to be some, hey, tell so-and-so I said hi, and -and so-and-so who's with me says hi to you, and see you soon. You know, that's the That's how it ends. But this is the last section of the body of the letter. And so the question becomes, okay, what what do you say? Like at the end of the day, what how do you wrap up a letter as important as the book of Romans? That's what we're going to see today. So let's pick it up where we left off last week, which is in chapter 15, starting at verse 14. Here's what Paul writes. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Pause here, interactive sermon time. PV, you can play along. Who's he writing this to? I hope you did better in PV. Who's he writing to? The church, the the Roman Christians, that's who he's writing to. That's really important to put this into context. So think about this. The Apostle Paul writing to my brothers and sisters, just the faithful followers of Jesus who make up the church in Rome. Look what he says about them. He says, I myself, very emphatic, am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Like, that's amazing that Paul would look at a bunch of people, regular people sitting in the church and say, hey, I'm convinced as an apostle 
that you people are competent to instruct each other. Note there's no mention of a pastor here. There, he doesn't say, hey, your pastor is so great. He is so competent to teach you. You're in good hands. It's not what he says. He says instead to the church, no, no, no. You, church, are competent to instruct each other. He believed that they were so filled with the Spirit that they knew the Word, that they understood the Word, and that they were willing to instruct each other about how to become better followers of Jesus. That's how you know you're in a great church. And just so you know, that's what we want to happen here. Like, this is one of the reasons that we've been banging the drum for you getting into a discipleship group. It's because your spiritual development cannot be resting upon a pastor to meet you for a half hour once a week, or once every three weeks, whenever it is you show up. Like, that isn't how this works. You have to have people in your life. It's one of the reasons we're doing these discipleship groups, so you aren't dependent upon me to help you know how to love and to follow Jesus. Or anybody else who stands in the front of the room while everybody else is just sitting there taking notes. Oh, yeah. That's not how this is supposed to go. We want you to have an environment where you have brothers and sisters who are full of goodness and filled with knowledge because then they are capable of instructing you in living like Jesus. So if you haven't formed a group like this, you haven't participated yet in a group like this, let us help you. Like we're putting all of our eggs of discipleship in this basket. We want to make everybody who's a part of this church a better disciple. And this is the tool that we think is going to accomplish that better than any other tool that we've tried. So do that, please. Now, I do find it a bit interesting that Paul writes this and he says, I'm convinced, my brothers and sisters, you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct each other. It begs the question, if Paul really believed that, then why why did he feel the need to write the longest, most in-depth gospel message of all to this church? Why did he do that? It's a great question. And he answers it. He says, yet I have written you, this is why I did it, I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again and again. To remind you of these points because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. So Paul recognizes They didn't hear the gospel from him the first time. They already have it. But he's writing this letter to remind them of the gospel. That's what the whole book of Romans is about. It's just about reminding them. I made a statement a couple of weeks ago, and I feel like it's still true. Most of ministry is just reminding. It's just reminding. For sure, there are some of us, and we're still learning. We should always be learning. 
For many of you, you're new to faith and you're learning a lot quickly and that's great. You should be doing that. But for many, many, many of you in this room, you've been a Christian for a decade, 20 years, 30, 40, 50, some of you, 60 years following Jesus. The reality is for you, you don't need somebody to come in and teach you new things. You just need to be reminded of the things that you've already been taught the things that you already know. And, and, and maybe, maybe you need somebody to actually call you out on living what you already know. We need a little more Pentecostal. Keep it coming. <laughs> this is why Paul wrote this letter. Like, that's it. This is why he's doing this, to remind them again of the gospel that they received. So likely what happened, somebody stood up and they took this letter and they read it out loud in front of the whole church and they spent 45 minutes from going Romans 1-1 to Romans 16 and they just stood up and they read it. And in that reading of the entire gospel, they were reminded of all of these glorious principles of the gospel. But we haven't spent 45 minutes reading out the book of Romans. We've spent over 10 months and we're not even done yet. And here's the problem. The problem is that because we've done this over 10 months, many of us have already forgotten what Paul wrote to remind them of. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to spend a few minutes reminding you of what he's reminded us of as it comes to the gospel. Okay? I want to remind us of what we've seen in the book of Romans thus far. And I can only hit the high points. Like I can't get all of it, but I do want to hit some of the biggest pieces of the story of the gospel. And let's start with the bad news. Remember the bad news? Romans chapter 3. There is no one righteous, not even one. Not even you. No one is righteous. To be in the family of God requires you to be righteous, and you aren't. And frankly, you're worse off than you've ever believed that you were. And, we, and Paul spent three chapters, and I spent almost three months, trying to convince you that you're worse than you actually believe that you were. Like, if inclusion in the family of God depends upon righteousness... And righteousness is left to your actions, then you're doomed because no one is righteous. Like you are not getting into the family of God. And, and we spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of time hoping that you could feel the weight of your unrighteousness. Because until you feel the weight of your sin, feel the weight of actually how bad you really are, until you feel the full weight of that, you will never appreciate the goodness of the gospel when it gets lifted off of you. Which brings us to Romans 3, 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. This righteousness is given through faith 
in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You have to have righteousness, but you aren't righteous. But there's a good news. There's a righteousness from God that's been made known. It's a righteousness that isn't earned, but is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. To all who believe. Like this is a gospel for everyone. It's available to everyone. You can be made righteous before God. Not by your doing, but simply by faith in what Jesus has already done. That's good news. It's a righteousness that comes by faith through us believing that Jesus lived and he died in our place and for our sins. And that God raised him from the dead. And in that moment, God took all of our unrighteousness and put it on him at the cross. And when he died, he died for our sin. He paid that debt. And he took all of the righteousness of Christ and exchanged it for our unrighteousness. He made us righteous, just like Jesus. And it is a righteousness that comes by faith. Not by what we do, but by what Christ has already done. Now, does that mean that we just get to sit back, kick back, enjoy the ride and just wait for our flaming chariot to come forth and carry me home? No. We don't just glory in God's amazing gifts. We actually glory... And our suffering too. God makes sense of suffering. He says, not only so, not only is that true, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Like when we come to faith in Jesus, it doesn't mean that we experience our best life now. That's not true. That's a lie. We will suffer, but what we do get is the promise that we will never suffer needlessly. The suffering we endure is producing something in us, namely perseverance. Suffering makes us get to the place where we don't quit, where we keep going. We we suffer, but we persevere because there is no salvation without perseverance. So we persevere, and suffering is creating that in us. And perseverance then creates character, and character eventually is what gives us hope that the gospel actually applies to me. Now, you may be asking, well, when when did all this happen? How did that Jesus stuff get applied to me? I wasn't even born when he died. Here's how, Romans chapter 6. Or don't you know... You remember, I told you, whenever Paul says, don't you know, what he's really saying is, you should know. It's like when you look at your kids and say, don't you know you're supposed to put your sink or dishes in the sink? Don't you know you're supposed to clean your room? Don't you know you can't hit your brother on the head with a bat? You should know. This isn't new news. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death, we were therefore buried with him in, bab- in him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead 
through the glory of God the Father, we too may have new life. Like this is what happened to Jesus. He died, he was buried, and then he was raised, and he lives forever. That's what happened. And he says, that's what happened to you. When? When you were baptized into Christ. When you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. It was through your baptism into death. Like when you took that moment that our friend Randall just took, that was not just dunking in water. It was a participation in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Like all that Jesus accomplished in that moment just got applied to our friend Randall. He's now in Christ, and because he's in Christ, Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, and his new life all gets credited to Randall's account. Like this is such an amazing moment. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus and haven't done that yet, what are you waiting for? Like, we can make it happen today. Then out of this comes this amazing reality. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like none, no condemnation. Like all of the condemnation died with Jesus. And when he came up, we came up in condemnation was no more. For those who are led by the Spirit, this gets even better. I mean, it's great enough that he didn't condemn us, but check this out. For those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. Spirit, the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, by which we cry, Abba, Father. Like it would have been more than gracious of God more than gracious, if God would have said, I forgive you, you're free to go. Like, I'm not going to condemn you. I know you did a lot of bad stuff. I'm, I'm erasing it, but you got to go. You got to get out of my sight. Like that would have been a overly gracious God. But instead, instead of saying, I forgive you, now you can go, God says, I forgive you. Now you can come. You can come. You can come and be a part of my family. He didn't say, I forgive you and I will not punish you. He says, you can come and I will bless you. Instead of sending us away, he invites us in and adopts us as his sons so that we can be in the house of our loving father forever. Like, that's unbelievable. Like, your face should not be looking as somber as they are. So how do we live in the meantime while we're waiting for this amazing promise to come to fruition? What do we do in response to a God who says, you can come and be with me forever? How do we respond? Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's amazing mercy, which you're not amazed by, 
to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Like, how do you respond to a God who says, I will save you, not condemn you, and bring you into my family forever? How do you respond? You give him everything. Why wouldn't I? Like, why would I not live in worship considering all that he has given me in Jesus. Of course I'm going to give him my life. Of course I am. He's purchased it. He's redeemed it. I belong to him. Now, not only do I belong to him, not only do I belong to him, Romans goes on to teach us that I also belong to you, that we also belong to each other. We do not just belong to God. We belong to one another. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, you, me, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Like, we belong to each other. You are not just God's, you are mine. I am not just the Lord's, I am yours. We belong to each other. Together we are the body of Christ. You are not the body of Christ alone. I am not the body of Christ alone. I am a member of it. I am a piece of it. I am a part of it. But like a foot that gets dismembered or an eye that gets plucked out or a finger that gets chopped off, apart from the body, they are powerless. A foot sitting on a step by itself can do nothing. An eye lying on a table disconnected from the brain can do nothing. It's powerless. And the body that it is ripped from is worse off without it. That's Paul's picture of us. Like we belong to each other. We are better together. We've all been given gifts for the sake of the body and we need to put those gifts to work instead of being like a paralyzed hand that is connected to the body but isn't doing anything. In fact, we need each other so much that Paul has spent the last chapter and a half trying to help us realize one hugely important truth, and that is unity is greater than liberty. Unity is greater than liberty. It is more important for you to lay down your rights to stay connected to the body than for you to ever, ever disconnect yourself from the body. The body is a gift of God. This is what Paul has spent 7,000 words reminding these Christians of. This is the gospel from beginning to end. This is what he has done for us and is still doing for us. And the more you are in Jesus, the more you already know these realities. Like for those of you who've been in Christ for a while, nothing that I shared with you is new to you. You already, you already knew it. Half of you are like, 
I already knew that. I knew that one too. I knew that. What else you got, pastor? Give me something new. I don't have anything new. I got nothing new. These are things you've already know. My goal is not to give you something new. It's to remind you of the things that you already know. You already know all of this. But here's what I know. Because we have jobs to keep and kids to raise and groceries to buy and wives to adore and softball to play and vacations to plan and Netflix to watch, because we have all of those other things, we have a tendency to forget this. We forget the gospel and how amazing it is. And so we need to be reminded of it again and again and again. That's why Paul says he wrote this letter to Christians who already had the gospel. He wrote it to remind them. Now, let's go back to our text in chapter 15. Let's pick it up in verse 18. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me and leading the Gentiles to obey what, what I have, to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Jesus. So again, as Paul is wrapping up this letter, he takes a step back and begins to think about his last decade of ministry. It is estimated that Paul traveled over 10,000 miles during his ministry. That's 10,000 miles without any combustion engines, without any electric motors, 10,000 miles mostly on foot with a few boat rides along the way. And he's planted churches in the most important major cities in the Roman Empire, primarily among the Gentile people. Our text says he preached from Jerusalem all the way to Illicrum. I'm guessing that doesn't mean a lot to you, so let me help. He says, from Jerusalem, which is way over here on the uh, eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea, we even get it cut off. He went up into Syria, which is through here, then came all the way down, around through here, and all the way up, it says, to Illicrum. That's where this is. And he covered this whole area with the gospel. All of it. He says, look, I, I went everywhere. I went all, he's planted nearly 20 different churches, Corinth, Ephesus, Thessalonica, Philippi, Berea, Iconium, Derby, Lystra, like all of these churches, Paul went in and he planted these churches and then he'd plant them in these Gentile cities and then he'd go somewhere else, which to be honest, I'm like, why did he do that? Like, why not do like most church planters do? Why not just Pick a place, pick a people, pick a city, plant the church, stay there and pastor it. That's what pastors do. Why, why did Paul not just do that? And he answers that question. He says, because it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. So Paul's heart was to just keep preaching to people who'd never heard the gospel. 
So he was passionate about taking the message of Jesus to people who had never heard it. So he would come to a city, he'd plant a church, he'd teach them the gospel for six, eight months, maybe a year, possibly two at the most, and then he'd move on. And he'd bring somebody in like Timothy or Titus or Apollos or, or uh, there's another one, I, I forgot it in the first service too, Ananias and Sapphira. He left them in Ephesus. He would bring these people in. They'd take over the church and help those people grow in their faith. And Paul would go to a different city and start over again. Now, he wasn't interested in being where the gospel had already been, which is why he hasn't been to Rome yet. Because Rome had already had the gospel. There was already a church strong that was happening in Rome. So Paul did not go there because he didn't want to waste his time sharing the gospel with people who already had the gospel. So he says, this is why, because I need to go where people haven't seen and haven't understood. I need to go to them first. This is why I haven't been able to come to you. I mean, I want to. It'd be great. But I don't know how much longer I've gotten. I'm going to spend all of my time teaching people who don't know. That was his point. But, but now, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions... And since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I will plan, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. So think about how amazing this is. Paul says, I've gone from Jerusalem all the way up to Illicrum and back around. And frankly, there's nowhere else for me to go here. I mean, I've covered it all. I don't have any, there's nowhere else. Now, that doesn't mean that every person in this whole area is a Christian yet, but it does mean every town has a church with Christians in it who can carry on the task of fulfilling the mission of Jesus. So Paul says, my work is done here. I got to go to somewhere that the gospel hasn't been shared. And you know where that is? He says, Spain, that's where I need to go. Gospel's already in Rome. This has already been taken care of. I need to get to Spain. So Paul says, here's, here's my plan. I'll visit you on my way to Spain. That's what I'm going to do. Since I'm going to Spain, that gives me an opportunity to stop by. Not to stay, but hopefully you'll support me on my way. But there's a little business he's got to take care of first. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Acacia were pleased to make contributions for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So, after I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. So let's back up and let me show you what he's saying. Paul is writing this letter from the city of Corinth. And he writes this letter and somebody is going to take this little letter and travel across and deliver it to Rome. And Paul says, what I'm going to do is all of these churches, this is 
Acacia and Macedonia. He says, all of these churches up here, they have taken up an offering to send to the Jewish Christians down in Jerusalem. And so I've been collecting money at all of these places, and my job now is to take that money down to the believers in Jerusalem. So that's what I'm going to do next. And once I've delivered those funds to the church in Jerusalem, then I'm going to head off to Spain. And while I'm going to Spain, I will drop by and see you in Rome. But I'm not there to stay. My goal is to have you help me take the rest of the journey down to Spain. That's his plan. That's what he wants to accomplish. But Paul knows that just because that's what he wants to do doesn't mean that it will actually happen. And so he has one big request to make of these people before he finishes this letter. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray, please, church, pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed and the God of peace be with you all. Amen. That's how the message of the book of Romans ends. Again, he'll add a postscript in chapter 16. We'll talk about that over the next couple of weeks. But essentially, this is the end of the body of the letter. And how does he end? Pray for me. Pray for me. I'm heading to Jerusalem. Pray that I will be saved from the unbelievers in Judea. And you know what? That prayer was not answered. That prayer did not get answered. He wasn't kept safe. Want to know the end of the story? Then you'll have to listen to the podcast. <laughs> or you could just read the book of Acts. Either one. But this is where Romans leaves off. So what's the takeaway for us? What's the takeaway for all of this for us as we think about all of the book of Romans, what's the takeaway for us? Let me give you four really quickly. Here's the first one. That the gospel is good news. Like when you hear it, it ought to make you smile. I get a few more amens. That's what I, that should happen. When you hear the gospel, it's good news. It is the power of, of I'm sorry, it is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. It is the gospel for everyone, and it should get us excited. It is good news. Secondly, the gospel's worth remembering. Like, again, it ought to be something that we have in our mind that we don't forget, that we cling to and hold on to, that we do not let go of. It is worth Remembering the gospel isn't something that you learn once and then you graduate from it. It is a deep 
well. It is something you remember over and over and over again. And the more you remember it, the more you are transformed by it. Third, it is worth reminding. It is worth you reminding your brothers and sisters of the gospel that Jesus died for you and he he. Uh, rose for you. He was dead and buried and he came back to life and he's taken us to heaven with it. And through him, we've received forgiveness of sin. There is no more condemnation through Christ Jesus. Like we should be always reminding each other of the goodness of the gospel. People need us to remind them that the gospel is true. Here's the last one. The gospel is worth you going. Like Paul left Jerusalem and went all the way around the Mediterranean rim and then back and then did it again and did it again. And finally, he's like, I got to get to Spain because I've done all of this. I'll go wherever going means. I'll go wherever people haven't heard. And the gospel, the same gospel that made him go should make you go. And I don't know where you need to go. Some of you need to go down the hall. Some of you need to go across the table. Some of you need to go across the street. Some of you need to go to your, to your colleague's cubicle. I don't know where you need to go, but you have somebody in your life who doesn't know how good the gospel is, and they need somebody to help them to know. And the gospel, the gospel is worth you going, even if it costs you everything. Because Jesus gave us everything. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We have the gospel of Jesus, the good news that gives us life that starts now and never stops. And I pray today that as we've just been reminded of some of the big truths of the gospel, that you would ignite in us a love of the gospel. That it changes how we live today. It changes the conversations we have with people. Changes the interactions that we have with those we know who are without the hope of the good news of Jesus. Do your work in us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.